Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from Onshot.net. Special episode Midterm Circuit Break. If schools thought that the year 2021 to 2022 was going to be a little easier than the shock and madness of COVID-19 in 2020 to 21, they were very, very much mistaken. With the government refusing to uh, put in any extra mitigation measures into schools for this year, and the fact that the only people in the country left to be vaccinated were those who were refusing to be vaccinated, and everyone who goes to primary schools more or less, it was inevitable that cases in September and October were going to fly through the roof, which of course they did. And rather than actually deal with uh, COVID-19 cases and their close contacts, what the government decided to do through uh, their health advice was to simply stop uh, close contact tracing, therefore leaving everyone in a situation where nobody knew how many cases there actually were in the country. Even so, cases have been rising steadily and are totally out of control as we head to our midterm break, much like last year with um, the October midterm break coming up. It looks like it's going to be used again as a circuit breaker. In this special live um, episode, I'm going to go through uh, the first couple of months uh, with some of the uh, highlights, but mainly lowlights, and also why COVID-19 really continues to shine a light on all the problems in the education system. Hello, hello, you are welcome to this special episode for midterm break, or should we call it a midterm circuit break, uh, this uh, year 2021, still in the throes of the COVID-19 pandemic. In this episode, I'm really hoping to go through uh, a few bits and pieces uh, as we head into the midterm break, uh, where we've had a, a mad couple of months. I'm not going to regurgitate September, but I'm certainly going to look back at the week leading up to the midterm break, where education was in the news for all the wrong reasons. Uh, basically, if it wasn't uh, the blatant lack of substitute teachers, it was the um, mad situation where a board of management tried to protect the health and safety of their children by closing their uh, their their doors and moved to remote learning and were quickly uh, given a slap on the wrist or, uh, and demanded and forced to reopen for face-to-face learning uh, and um, we'll talk about that as well as that i uh, challenged uh, my twitter followers uh, to name some things that COVID has shone a light on. Uh, problems that have been around for a long, long time, well before COVID. Uh, I suppose it was sparked on, I suppose, by uh, the substitute crisis, which has been going on for many, many years. And um, But there's been a number of other things that have been happening. So I'm going to give, uh, that's the summary of uh, this uh, week's special episode. Um, obviously, if you're listening to this in the future, this is being recorded in on the 21st of October. Uh, it's Thursday afternoon um, and it is 2021 and we are just about to head into um, midterm break. 
um, in Ireland. Really, I suppose what I want to start off with um, is, I suppose, the big piece of news this week. And the big piece of news, really, and to quote uh, somebody who I would consider a friend, but without wanting to mention any individuals because it would be inappropriate to do so. Some of you might not get that cryptic message. Some of you might. Um, a school in County Wexford um, moved to remote learning uh, last week after 30 cases of COVID-19. That's 10% of the school were, uh, were, were tested positive for COVID-19. Now, when 10% of a school are tested for COVID are, are testing positive for COVID-19, it means you can guarantee that it means that a number of those uh, children who are not tested positive for COVID-19 are likely to be close contacts. And of those people, many of them are probably asymptomatic. Now, to be perfectly honest, it is very, very likely that the place was absolutely riddled with um, COVID-19 and many of the children were likely not to be in school because parents were rightly uh, taking um, taking precautions and not sending their children to school when so many cases were happening. Well, sense you would think would prevail, but much like Claire Morris last Christmas when they had a similar situation with a huge number of children with uh, testing positive with COVID-19, um, the school uh, decided to remove, uh, move to remote learning and the very next day, uh, the Department of Education, I don't know what they did, um, but I can imagine and many suggestions have been made, effectively demanded that the school, the school would open for face-to-face -face learning for Wednesday, Thursday and Friday and they duly did. Um, and I don't know how many students showed up because that's really none of my business, but I can imagine there were a lot of children sitting at home getting zero input from their teachers when in, uh, when they could have, for the last few days, have received uh, input from their teachers who were going to be in the school uh, for that week doing remote learning. So, I mean, I don't think, you know, the story for me isn't that story. It was a disgrace, to be honest with you, in my opinion, that the Department of Education can undermine a board of management um, you know, we're always told that school boards have autonomy. They have, uh, they carry the legal burden of everything that happens in schools. And for the Department of Education to simply undermine a decision that is a last resort, and it's always a last resort. And I can tell you why it's a last resort, because most of us uh, teachers are also parents. And like you, um, if you're not a teacher, we also have, uh, because we're parents, we have our own children who go to school. And when our children um, can't, uh, when we can't go to our, to our workplace, it means that our children are, have to stay at home with us. And many of us don't send our children to the same school that we teach in, believe it or not. So, I mean, we know what lockdown was like. We love children. 
Um, and we also love our own children, which is why we need them to be in school. <laughs> because not only, and we know this, not only uh, is school, do we know that school is the best place for children to learn. We also know, and quite selfishly maybe as parents, and I'm only saying this because I know it's true, we love our children, uh, but we don't need our children to be under our feet 24 hours a day. They need to be with other children. They need to be with other children from other families. They need all that. And we know that. So when a school is riddled with COVID-19 and a board of management takes the decision to move to remote learning, so not allow the children physically in the building, it is certainly a very, very last resort. So for the Department of Education and ironically for the person in the Department of Education or the people in the Department of Education to make uh, this call, what I find almost, it's it's ironic, I guess, but it's, it's almost funny. The person or that made the call to the principal of the school to close the to re to readmit the children for face to face learning and the teachers to come into the school for face to face learning was working from home themselves. They were not in the Department of Education working. They are not working in their workplace. They are actually remote learning, remote working themselves. I I mean I don't know. I just think even that in itself is it's hilarious it's 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 amazing and ultimately about i would imagine the best part of uh, between half and three quarters or more of uh, the children this week have received zero input from their teachers and have missed a week of the curriculum uh, because of this mad uh, undermining by the department of education so i suppose you would have expected because of this that um the representative bodies, the INTO, the IPPN, the CPSMA, would be all over the media criticising the Department of Education for undermining a board of management. Or at least if they weren't going to be criticising the uh, Department of Education uh, for undermining a board of management, they would be absolutely supporting that uh, school and publicly, whether they were or not privately, I don't know, but publicly stating that uh, this school would have done this as a very, very last resort. This school uh, would have had no choice but to do this. And this school shouldn't have been undermined um, and should have been given the autonomy to do what was right for the health and safety and welfare of the children. And I'm not going to comment on any particular radio interview because that would not be appropriate. But the only radio interview, because essentially uh, what happened was there was only one person from a representative body who went on the radio to talk about this. Um, and he was uh, and he was talking about the only school that had to um, close its doors to face to face learning decided that he would say, I'm not going to comment uh, particularly on one uh, case in an individual case because it wouldn't be appropriate, given that there was only one thing. He was commenting on that individual case. But effectively, um, this this person um, effectively didn't support the principal and, um, and said that, you know, went on with the soundbite that obviously the media training gave him that prevention is better than the cure. You can't, you can't, uh, you can't say that now. There was no prevention measures. And ultimately, the prevention, and this is the, the thing that really annoys me about the representative bodies, because they're all at it. Even the INTO are at it. They're demanding, you know, oh, contact tracing should never, you know, shouldn't be pulled or should never have been pulled. We need this, we need that, we need the other. 
when they demanded that the la when it was pulled like I remember and you, you should all remember when the contact tracing was pulled in school the INTO and the IPPN were going oh we're very concerned about this oh this is terrible we demand meetings with NFESH and we demand meetings with public health so they got their meeting and what they did after that meeting was saying we at all times it follow public health advice and we believe in it and we think it's you know and therefore we're you know it's been our it's been our position from the very beginning that we accept public health that was public health advice this nonsense of soundbites about prevention better than cure the prevention was is contact tracing and you uh, you as an organization you supported public health measure as you you know even when it was wrong and it's clearly been wrong so this nonsense about demanding it now after the uh, after the car a horse has bolted it's shocking to go on the radio and not back that uh, back that school a hundred percent and I, I i have to say it was it was I, I was disappointed i i was really really disappointed as i said i'm not going to talk about any individual um uh, radio show anyway I've, I've labored that joke um so i mean that's really um you know i mean what more can i say about that situation um because this isn't going to end i mean I know we have our circuit break our midterm circuit break uh coming up and i suppose what that will do is the cases will start you know coming down again because uh, people will be staying at home and cases won't be spreading in school because you know, of course, cases don't spread in school. They're all there. You know, I imagine I imagine it'll be shocking. Um, you know, when 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 I hear the excuse, let's let's wait to hear the excuses for why cases will be going down over the next week. But anyway, um, we um, when we come back, we're going to be again starting all over again and coming up to Christmas. Uh, we'll see cases rising and rising and rising again and again there'll be schools who'll be very very under pressure some schools will close again depending I suppose everything depends on this fact I suppose the vaccination um, and um, I, I guess because children in primary schools aren't vaccinated the thing is we're going to run into the same problems in primary schools so I mean ultimately vaccinations don't matter um, for um, when it comes to primary schools really because none of the none of the people in primary schools by their teachers are um are vaccinated and won't be vaccinated before christmas so we're going to be coming back to this story i imagine uh, in december again um i don't want to talk uh, too much more about the uh, sub crisis because i covered that in when i was covering norma foley's disaster of an interview on news talk now i just as a quick follow up on that disaster um again you would expect you would expect, of course you would, you would expect the representative bodies to come out absolutely, I, the, I, angry is the word that's coming to mind, but I, apoplectic, apoplectic, I can't actually pronounce the word, but it's a lot of P's for a podcast. Uh, they they should have come out, they, they, you would expect they would have come out absolutely savagely annoyed about um, the fact that Norma Foley said that the representative bodies did not tell her that there was a substitute crisis. And, you know, it, they didn't, basically. They just didn't. I, and I just can't understand their silence. Instead, what they did was they, um, they remained silent and we had principals in their own time who don't have the time having to go on radio shows, uh, you know, begging uh, to, for, for airplay in a way to basically say look this is the situation i mean we are paying these representative bodies to represent our voices not to be a mouthpiece for the department of education which they appear to be coming more and more and more and and they're almost word for word saying things uh, that the department of education are saying what the minister is saying i'm not i'm surprised they're not saying 
things like suite of measures, which they probably are, or um, I don't know what other stuff, significant funding and 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 all these sound bites, and rightly so, um, to to name another. It's it's bizarre um, why how they did not come out and speak. So it came as no surprise to me, at least, when I decided um, to ask a question on Twitter about COVID-19. And my question to everybody really was quite simple. Um, the question was, COVID-19 has shone a light on many inadequacies in the primary education system, which have been around for many years. The substitute crisis was just one issue. What are the worst others in your opinion? So that was my question. And I expected, a f I suppose, some response. And I talked about uh, the sub-crisis and I started the ball rolling by saying uh, special education needs is obviously the worst thing. I mean, it, it goes without saying that was the worst thing. I mean, if you've listened to this podcast um, anytime, um, most of the episodes where I lay the blame squarely on is the NCSE for the savage cuts that have been made to children uh, with additional needs. In fact, the NCSE have dismantled almost everything that was positive about the system in the first place. And it needs an absolute overhaul. It needs, it, 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 it goes without question. It has to be overhauled and something has to happen because it, it, I have never seen a service as bad as the NCSE. So apart from special education needs, which has been highlighted a lot during COVID-19 with Norma Foley famously in the Doyle reacting to Aidan O'Riordan's uh, claim that she's on the side of children with additional needs and then uh, followed through by not providing them with any extra resources whatsoever uh, uh, during the time. In fact, overseeing the NCSE's further stealth cuts um, to special education needs provision and not provide and basically then removing the banked hours, which is about the only thing that was keeping um, a children, uh, keeping some of uh, giving some sort of support to children with additional needs because uh, special ed education teachers were needed uh, to cover classes with teachers being out because we have a sub crisis. Norma Foley instead did nothing for these uh, for these poor children. Um, I mean, when I say these poor children, I mean poor children in, 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 in so far as they are not getting their needs met at all. Um, I also uh, have to lay some blame at the door of the representative bodies who aren't fighting for it and are simply lying down like a doormat while the front loading model basically came in uh, this year and the rest of it is coming in next year, the school inclusion model. So it's all just pathetic, really, to be honest with you. But what else? did people say? And I had a load of responses uh, on my Twitter feed. It was, I, was, I was quite surprised there were so many. And uh, a lot of them, and most of them coming from teachers, some from parents, uh, and some from people interested in education. And um, I, I, I actually, in a way, I wasn't surprised to see what the majority answer was. And the majority answer wasn't actually special education needs. Um, maybe it's because I'd already mentioned it, uh, but I don't think so, because many people, because it was the second most popular response. The biggest response I had was, I mean, I suppose what I'm going to do is just read one example of it because it's the first one I see. It was the fact that those purporting to represent us were happy to remain silent and ignore the massive impact the current crisis was, is, and will be having on those uh, with additional needs and the lack of understanding as to the damage that decisions are being made uh, having on that group. So I suppose it is to do with special needs. Sorry, I was reading that live. Uh, so I mean, I suppose I, well, I, I only read the first bit. See, I should do a bit more preparation for this uh, podcast. But um, 
I suppose what, what I'm saying is most of the responses talked about the representative bodies. Um, you know, that's that's what came up um, uh, as, as a, a, you know, time and time and time again. Uh, there's a fantastic satire account of the mode of Marlborough Street uh, who said we were particularly impressed by the way we could turn the partners in education against one another. It turns out we're not all in this together. Um, and um, it's it's just it goes on and on. The fact that the union is in bed with the department and neither have a grip on reality. Um, let me see if there's um, any more. I'm actually looking at all the actually lots and lots. Maybe I'm wrong. There looked like it was uh, uh, the representatives. It's all special education needs that I'm reading here. Um, how blatant the INTO have been in their total and utter disregard for its members. Like I always suspected, they weren't massively pro-members, but they're so entrenched in the government's pockets, it's horrendous. Um, let me see if there's any more. Um, here's good stuff here, lots again. Class sizes, actual numbers of pupils in the room versus the myth. The treatment of teachers and school staff is appalling, especially when they wanted safety for students. Um let me see other problems that were there. Uh, yeah, this was one obviously that's uh, a bit different. Um, there, uh, I'll come back to that maybe. Um, the disrespect there is for teachers, the huge workload, the expectations that principals were on call 24-7, uh, principals looking for subs on Twitter uh, late at night, the constant negativity of the media towards teachers and getting abused for trying to protect kids from COVID. Um, a lot about inadequate funding. Um, again, about the the total disconnect between the union and its members. Um, yeah, all that too. Um, so actually, I'm, I'm, I'm union totally out of touch. Principals and teachers on the ground in school have little to no representation. Uh, the INTO not protecting members. Um, let me see if there's anything else. Um, utter lack of respect from the Department of Education to school leaders. As someone who was a new or novice principal when it kicked off, it was a major eye-opener. Um, let me see. There, one of the worst has to be that it exposed how just entangled some INTO leaders are with the Department of Education, how it led them to fail members at nearly every turn. Um, so a lot here, I'm just, as I said, scrolling down, uh, looking for um, what I felt was um, most of the reaction. Uh, and to be honest, looking at it there, uh, that was probably uh, the, 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 the lack of representation uh, was high up on the list. It wasn't quite first. Um, now that I look at it a second time, uh, special education needs was up there as absolutely number one. The biggest uh, reaction from um, Twitter uh, followers on what did COVID expose? I, I want to go through um, a, a few of them because obviously I don't want to be going on for too long. You have a midterm break to be going on and uh, I'm already over 20 minutes into it. Um, I, I'll go through um, some of them anyway. Uh, the idea of uh, lack of funding uh, was something else that came up. So the lack of funding to even cover all basics and the lack of truly free primary school education, the fallacy of free education, this is all there. Um, from, from two people there, Munchor Suivnach and Michal Moore, two fine Gaelga names. Um, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we are 
um, sh again, it's shocking that education is at primary level is not free for children. It's uh, if you look at the um, research that's out there every year, the back to school um, money thing that that Bernardo's do, it still costs close to a thousand euro per child uh, per year to go to primary school. Uh, to that includes books, uniforms, all that sort of insurance, all that sort of stuff, um, and um, it's really not right. Um, it should be free now. I mean, I I, I know um, I could go on off on a rant about well, why do we uh, provide? Why do we insist on having school books? Why do we insist on having uniforms? Why do we insist on all, a lot of this stuff? But this is stuff that's happening every year, and maybe schools can take a stance, but uh, in some ways, but again, we're still uh, funding. A lot of the problem really is that parents are still being asked for contributions because the Department of Education are still are underfunding, uh, and and weirdly enough. Um, not only are they not adding uh, to the, the capitation grants, the grants they put in, at the cost of inflation since the last um, since since the since the last grant came in, inflation's actually gone up despite the recession to about eight percent. Um, the difference in the uh, amount of funding that's gone uh, to to primary schools is less than half of that eight percent. So we're actually getting, despite a moderate increase a few years ago, um, it wasn't enough to tackle uh, what inflation was. But the other things uh, that happened is costs have gone up hugely. For example, insurance has doubled in most schools. So again. Um, the lack of funding has has been a massive uh, impact, and uh, COVID nineteen exposed that even further, uh, as we know. Um, uh, and um, I suppose, sure, I, I I won't go anymore. Another one to point out there is the lack of EAL support. Um, children like children uh, who were from um, backgrounds where English isn't the first language, they they were very disadvantaged by COVID. Um, however, it's not something that's new. When I started uh, teaching or when I started being uh, just uh, being a principal, for every 12 pupils with EAL needs, there was to be an EAL teacher. So that was what was happening back in, up until 2007. In 2008, this was, it wasn't just cut, it was destroyed. And I have um, 140 odd children in my school who would, who would be EAL, let's say. And in the old system, I would have maybe 10, 11, teachers um, for those children, which, you know, is it would be based on that calculation. And um, right, what do I have, I suppose, is one teacher, one teacher. That's all I have. And with COVID-19, because you can't mix your bubbles, if I have one teacher between all of the children in, who have EAL needs, which is, about, which, which is in between several classrooms, they weren't getting any support. So during COVID-19, EAL support decreased further and it's absolutely amazing that you know this voice of people we heard about special education needs um being absolutely uh, ridiculous but eal needs are no less important and do you think there was a single news story do you think there was a single radio interview do you think there was a single there was well there was a single voice and that's the trouble. There was only one voice out there who was pointing out that EAL was completely forgotten. Now, I haven't asked permission from that person to name uh, her, but anyone who knows, who, who says, uh, who, uh, who, who, I suppose anyone who knows her will know who I'm talking about. When you hear EAL, you will say you will know this teacher who is constantly fighting for EAL rights. And it's absolutely, um, it's, it is shocking that, uh, that again, it's been, uh, again, forgotten um, and, and probably more forgotten than anything else. 
Um, class sizes were were uh, uh, being um, raised by a politician there. I, I mean, because that's what politicians care about, because it's something that you know tangibly looks good. But a very interesting that came up actually was from a few people was scrapping attendance awards. COVID nineteen exposed something that I suppose has been around for a while rewarding children for attendance especially primary school children there is not a single primary school child that is responsible for not going to school for for poor attendance their poor attendance is as a result of external factors of the children so if you are giving rewards to children based on their attendance uh, in school publicly in school what is it achieving you know it's it's just making children feel bad for something they have no control over um, and I think it was interesting that about at least three of the respondents to this brought up uh, the idea of attendance awards uh, being scrapped and I'd absolutely um, correlate with that because there's not a single child uh, in primary school that decides not to go to school um, for, for any reason so you know, really, really interesting response. The one that I said I'd come back to because, you know, it wouldn't be an episode of this podcast without me mentioning this. And thankfully, somebody else did it for me. Someone called Kim um, said, honestly, the fact that we're still dealing with a situation where non-Catholic kids are having to sit there and learn about Jesus for two and a half hours a week in some 90% of schools. WTF, two and a half hours. There's so much more useful stuff we could do in that time. And, you know, look, I said our EAL teacher was a lone voice um, when it came to EAL. I Again, I, I this was a lone voice in this very, very long thread. I just can't understand how more and more teachers and more and more parents are not shouting and bawling about this abuse of children. A growing number of children who are not of a faith of a school. And, and yet are forced to sit through, sit through um, indoctrination every single day and nobody cares, nobody's saying a word. You know, it's just, it's just unbelievable. I just, I can't really understand it. Anyway, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go on about it because I go on about it uh, so often and let's just stick to the COVID um, on um, on that. Actually, in fairness, somebody else raised religion, uh, maybe a bit lighter. Uh, why and if teachers should still be responsible for communion and confirmation practice? It's definitely a question that was asked and and absolutely needs to be asked again and again and again. Uh, so we'll need we need to absolutely do that. Um, I. Um, I'm just going through a few few things. Someone raised the NEWB and the lack of resort, uh, support with so few EWOs. Yeah, I think that's fair enough, and that predates COVID nineteen. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of uh, people uh, who uh, might you know, remember this whole twenty days. Oh, you don't want to miss school for twenty days because the NEWB will be after you. But who has missed twenty days of school and has the EWO onto you, the uh, Education Welfare Officer? None is the answer to that question. Um, and the reason for that is because they passed all this onto schools who have have absolutely no resources. This is part of the, the whole system where uh, after the recession, rather than actually improving, uh, rather than actually doing anything, um, uh, 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 rather than doing their actual jobs, uh, and, and when they weren't able to do their jobs anymore, what they did is they passed all their jobs onto schools. And because schools don't have the resources to, or supports to do so, um, none of these jobs are being able to be done, like calling every family who'd missed 20 days. That's the EWO's job. It's their job to do that. But they 
gifted that job to schools, similarly to inspectors gifting uh, probation of newly qualified teachers in school. You know those kind of things, um, and and um, and ultimately this is this this is why there are more and more children. I think there's more absences, not because of COVID, yes, because of COVID nineteen, but before COVID nineteen, attendance was becoming a problem, and um, you know it's it's it was just an interesting one, really. Um, if um, a very interesting one for me, I, I suppose. Um, as somebody that raised about cleaning, um, cleaning something that improved, um, I suppose, because of COVID-19, but cleaning was a problem before COVID-19 and cleaning will be a problem after COVID-19 if it isn't kept. The lack of hot water is something um, that was that COVID sort of raised in a way. Very small uh, kind of thing, because I, uh, but it's definitely there and it definitely has been for a long time. I, I'm not sure... Um, if there was a protest march, whether that would garner a big, a huge number of people going to it, but it's certainly an issue. You can't, um, you know, that can't be denied. Um, I'm trying to think of, uh, trying to look here as well. Um, somebody said it's interesting. You know, primary level, uh, secondary school teachers got allowances for being uh, the lead workers, uh, whereas nothing there was nothing in primary schools. Um, that was that was fair enough because we have loads more supervision than secondary schools. Uh, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, effectively uh, expecting teachers to patch over the lack of services for children with additional needs. I think this is a really strong tweet from somebody um, here, Katrina, uh, uh, who said that. Uh, it says, we're, it's like we're expected to be spe speech and language therapists, occupational therapists, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, physios. And this was really highlighted by COVID when, there were, when services actually shut down um, and, and all of a sudden uh, when, when the school buildings closed down, children weren't getting any of these services. But it turned out that schools were doing a lot of these services, so even though we're not even though we're not qualified to do so, and even though we shouldn't be doing so, um, it's it was very interesting, and I, I think that was something well highlighted and um, and, and absolutely superb um, to to point it out. Um, so well done. Um, a lot of senos uh, that there basically isn't any seno support. Um, and that, that kind of happened sort of during COVID that the CNO used to be the one making the decisions around um, around uh, SNAs. That was just taken away from them. And now CNOs really have no role anymore. Um, it's kind of a bit bizarre. Um, and, and it's certainly, uh, they may be in trouble in terms of actually having a job because they have no... Um, yeah, they've no... Um, they've, 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 they don't really have a role anymore. They sort of kind of process paper um, but they don't make any decisions anymore, which is really disrespectful to their role. Um, but this is allowed, you know, this is always allowed. Uh, disrespect and vilification of teachers. Every social problem uh, problem is thrown at schools to solve. Uh, in fact, in the last fortnight, uh, this is uh, Peace Blossom, I saw stopping rape and assault and child sex abuse suggested for primary schools to solve uh, by the teachers that people call despicable um, and uh, that we're lazy and we do nothing and so on. So yeah, that's a fair point. Um, the disrespect there is for teachers. I've gone on, I've said that already. Uh, special education ch uh, needs children not being allocated hours by NEPs before. Um, so basically, yeah, this whole front-loading uh, model and the set allocation model, there are more and more and more children presenting with additional needs, but the hours are not coming with them. And uh, we've talked about that before. Um, yeah, interesting. Uh, an interesting one here was a problem that's, again, not that doesn't get much attention. I'm going to come back to this maybe in a future podcast. I've spoken to the person that's, uh, that offered this out. Teaching irrelevant stuff in history, geography and science, not teaching enough real world problem solving. It's really interesting because it's not something that COVID really highlighted at all anyway. It didn't, COVID, I don't think, made it worse. But it's certainly something that's been a problem for a long time. If we look at textbooks, 
are they relevant anymore for history, uh, geography and science? I want to come back to that at another time. Um, someone gave me a nice list. Huge class sizes, difficulty accessing supports for children with additional needs, stretching SNAs thinner and thinner, lack of subs, poor funding by the government requiring schools to fundraise for the basics, and gaslighting by Norma Foley in the Department of Education. Yeah, gaslighting is... Um, is I, I, I'm not sure I really understand exactly what it means. I know when it's happening to me, but I don't really... I can't really define it. But it's been... It's been horrendous. Um, I, I, I have to agree. It's absolutely terrible. Um, the lies being told by ministers, Department of Education, NCSE about how brilliant everything is, um, is scandalous. Absolutely. That's from John. Uh, failure to invest money in safety measures. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's interesting that that didn't come up more often. It's kind of funny, despite the fact, I think that people have nearly given up on mitigation measures because it didn't come up that often when I asked that question. And maybe it's because I, I said... Um, don't talk about COVID issues. Let's talk about things that were around before COVID. So maybe people are actually answering my question. Uh, so fair enough. Uh, respite service for families with children with disabilities. So again, uh, going on about that. Um, lack of adequate training for special need education roles. Learning on the job doesn't work. And in the rise of expulsions, uh, suspensions, short days is down to lack of appropriate teacher training. I actually disagree with that. Um, it, the, the, it's not down to teacher to training. I mean, training, yes, has a role in that, but it's not the reason uh, for, for all the problems that are happening. Uh, the reason for shortened days, uh, the reason for expulsion suspensions is not due to lack of training. It's due to lack of uh, human resources, human supports. Because if you have, uh, if, you, if you think that it's easy, uh, that all the teacher needs is training to be in a room with 30 children, one of which is absolutely um, in the throes of stress because they are unable to cope with the uh, the sensory needs, the the speed, the busyness of the classroom with zero support except for one teacher trying to manage 30 children, many of whom will also have additional needs. I think you really need to have a look at yourself and walk into, come into any classroom. And, 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 and I would say after 10 minutes, you'll probably be changing your tune really. It's not about training. It's about having enough people in the room. I, uh, if you have a situation where you have uh, a child who is soiling himself three or four times a day and you have to go into a bathroom with your maybe one, you might have one person's help in the room and you've got 29 other children, five of which uh, are, are, um, are unable to cope uh, without uh, a significant amount of support and are, um, one of which might be, uh, who might be screaming, one of which who, who may be um, running around the room, one of which who might be trying to get out of a window. That's life in a primary school classroom these days. It is not like when you were in school, when children with additional needs were shafted out of the classroom and probably in homes and things like that. You have to see a modern day classroom and what it looks like, but it also has to be supported. Yes, with a little bit of training and absolutely a lot of training. Sorry, not a, not, not a but that's not the silver bullet. The silver bullet is human resources. Uh, someone else brought up the fact that um, the resource traveled for teachers was swept away. Now that didn't COVID didn't bring, I mean, I suppose COVID highlighted again uh, why the resource traveller for teacher was so important. And absolutely, I don't, I just cannot understand how, um, 
how this has been allowed to remain cut. It was absolutely eradicated more, uh, in, in the country. There, uh, any, any, any school with a resource traveller teacher lost that teacher and had no replacement. Um, it was it was absolutely ridiculous. Nasty comments uh, from uh, from I, I I mean this is uh, basically again nasty comments from uh, advocate bodies um, about teaching staff raising legitimate concerns about school safety in January and February. Absolutely, I mean this is I suppose was not something COVID highlighted. I suppose COVID highlighted this happens, but the negative talk about teachers in general has has been building over some time. I think it has anyway. You know, it's a question I kind of need to I suppose I, I think we need to explore a little bit as teachers. Is is has there been a rise in teacher bashing um in the last um twenty years or more? Has there always been a case where teacher bashing is something that's always happened? You know, I, I remember you know, 20 years ago, the or even more, 30, 40 years ago, you know, people who saying those who, uh, what was it, those who, the, uh, what, those who can't teach is the punchline anyway, or the, um, do you know, the, um, you know, like there's, there's been teacher bashing mentality for quite some time. Um, so I don't know. Anyway, it's a question I might explore a little bit um, when I have a bit of time. Maybe next summer we might actually look at teacher bashing and the history of teacher bashing and why there's teacher bashing and uh, why it's such a popular sport. Um, I think we have a lot of theories, but it might be interesting to actually do a scientific study of what it is. Um, I think... Um, Let's see. Uh, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how, how much time I've, I've gone on. I'm going to have 40 minutes. Uh, so I, I don't want to go on far, far too much about this. Um, but um, I'm, yeah, just looking mostly again, overcrowding, underfunding. Um, yeah, there are all problems that were there before. Special education needs, special education needs, special education needs, special education needs. It's, it's just basically special education needs and uh, how it's uh, getting worse and worse and worse. I mean, that's kind of what midterm break is looking like for us. Um, we are in the middle, I think, of a pandemic, a crisis. Um, and what this crisis is doing is showing us that because we have effectively neglected education for quite some time, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing massive problems as a result of this. I, I look back um, at the last crisis we had in Ireland, which was obviously the recession. And the solution that the government had to the recession was obviously to, they had to make cuts across the board. But the cuts they made to education um, never, ever came back to pre-recession times. So we're still working off a 15% reduction in set hours, uh, which was cut in the recession. That was never replaced. And I would argue uh, it's it's got worse and worse and worse. We um, Wages uh, were, were cut for uh, teachers uh, across the board. They've never fully been uh, reimbursed. And that's fine. I get that. Uh, we have to build that up. But the two-tier system that came out of that has still not been resolved. I also noticed uh, as well that we, we talked about union representation and other representation that during uh, the recession, it was interesting, the union really flipped the way they worked and became um, much more cooperative with the government. They, they, they were complicit in many of the initiatives that were um, thrown onto schools because uh, other bodies just decided they weren't going to do them because of their own cuts. And again, uh, you look at SSE, you look at the uh, Drihid, you look at Cusson now, you look at, uh, at the various things that have just been thrown onto schools. And the union 
effectively took the position uh, of being complicit in these things and never opposing any of these things at all uh, during the recession. Because, and in fairness, you could understand it during a recession because everyone was in, in stach, uh, to use a Yiddish term, everyone was in trouble. But the recession finished, you know, the recession ended. And, but the attitudes didn't, uh, didn't end. And we had the same level of complicitness. We had the same level of, of, becoming kind of a government mouthpiece and this whole autocratic way this theocratic way I think it's more of a theocratic way of speaking to teachers when you go to your union meetings it wasn't like the teachers there telling the CEC reps what they wanted to bring back to the to leadership and the leadership reacted to it it was the leadership telling the CEC reps to tell the teachers what was happening and you can have a bit of a gripe but that was the way it was and you found that most decisions were being made by um by the leadership and even the CEC uh, uh, in some ways ha- have been silenced uh, and are not do not have the power and are not representing the voices on the ground because the leadership are making all the decisions. And we've seen in COVID how that was highlighted. But, you know, the history is there. It's been it's been happening for over 10 years. So I think, um, you know, we have to pinpoint when this started to happen. I'm sure it happened well before that, but the last happening was the recession and how we've never come out of that recession mentality that whole cut 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 where you can cut rather than let's invest in education properly it's still that recessionary uh, thing about saving money getting value for money and all that kind of stuff you know and we absolutely you need value for money but not not to the point where you're cutting services um for no reason and because we don't need to you need to you need to build on the services that are there and we aren't doing that and that's something that really needs to change and i think what covid did was it highlighted this fact it made the it it, it sort of magnified what was happening and you know we can see that most um i suppose uh, you know most most highly in union representation in um in representation from other uh, bodies uh, and but also most certainly i suppose in special education needs which which is now really in the center um at the, at the center stage um i i suppose one one of the things that uh, i suppose for some reason wasn't in this list when i asked i it's, it's actually kind of strange that it's not there it was a substitute crisis um a substitute crisis has been going on since i would say at least 2015 probably 2014 2013 maybe at a push and it has never ever ever been resolved and uh, it's something that really needs to happen um i i tackled that in my last special episode uh, but it's uh, something that you know Again, COVID really, really highlighted as a major problem. There's huge questions about education. I, I mean, we've got, you know, I touched on religion there uh, a, a little a little back again. We have to look at the role of religion in education. It's, it's just, it's becoming ridiculous. Again, COVID showed, you know, the amount of this preparation for communion confirmation and should schools have a role in that? And I think it's, it's very obvious that, uh, you know, nobody thinks this is a good idea, but when are we going to actually stop it from happening? But apart from that, the greater, the, the biggest picture when it comes to religious control of schools and, um, and, and how that's just not acceptable in the 21st century. We need, again, to have these big conversations. And the thing is, we've so many things that we have to talk about education because they've been so neglected. Where do you begin? And maybe that's the question I'll leave you with. Where do we begin? When it comes to the education system in twenty uh, in the tw- uh, from twenty twenty one, the NCCAA 
are uh, doing a consultation at the moment about the new curriculum that they're um, uh, that they're trying to establish. And it's it's to be honest with you, from what's coming out at the moment, it's a little bit disappointing. It's more of a tweak than a than a revolution. You know, I, I read uh, you know some of the people from the NCA talking about this being a once in a generation opportunity, but what's on the table isn't isn't particularly impressive. You know, you have things like reducing the amount of religious education by half an hour a week. Why why not talk about let's re- let's get rid of it completely. You know, that's the question you need to be asking and, and have a conversation about it. I'm not, I'm not saying, I mean, obviously my opinion is it should be gone, but why nip, nip at things? Why take half an hour off? Do we in 20 years time take another half an hour off? In 40 years time take another half away? And like in 100 years we might eventually get to it. Why not ask those questions now? You know, these are, these are things that need to be asked. What subjects are we teaching at the moment that have no longer have relevance? You know, when we're teaching geography now, we're teaching maps, for example, in geography. Why are we looking at, you know, why are we looking at, why are we using 20th century methodologies for maps? I mean, mapping in the 21st century is a completely different science, yet it's nowhere in the curriculum. I'm just, I mean, that's just a very simple example. I'm trying to touch on, a, on, a, on, on something that happened a few, uh, a few minutes ago. So look, I think that's where I'm going to leave it um, because I think, um, you know, COVID-19 has really shone a light on the education system. Um, we have a midterm break uh, or a midterm circuit break uh, to, I suppose, ponder on some of these items. Uh, I'll be tackling lots of these issues, um, but, you know, after the midterm break, uh, I think our next uh, episode is actually um, about cleaning staff of all things. So it's not really curriculum based, but it's something I suppose that's an important part of schooling. But we move on to all sorts of topics uh, as we as we go throughout the year. Um, we'll see how midterm break goes. I hope uh, you have a lovely one, whatever you do. And uh, before between now and the next episode, uh, I wish you a happy midterm break and we'll see you next time. All the best. Bye bye.